Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Okay, so here's the plan for today. We're going to look at a couple of commonly asked questions around money and the church, specifically giving a financial offering to the church. And so these are questions that I've heard, that I've talked with people about, and so here's the ones we're going to try to hit, okay? Number one, does God need my money? Because last I checked, he seemed to be doing just fine. Number two, if I give, what do I get? In other words, what's in it for me? And here's a third question. If I don't give, what will happen? Will God strike me with a lightning bolt? Will my life just continue on as normal? And so those are the questions we want to dive into. So to frame up our time today, we are going to be in the New Testament Gospel of John chapter 6. And while you're making your way over to John chapter 6, either in your Bible or a device with a Bible on it, we're going to start with this first question of, does God need my money? I think we all know that God doesn't need anybody's money. God isn't short on cash. It's not like he's up in heaven stressing over the electric bill, you know, walking through heavenly mansions saying, hey, people, if you're not going to be in the room, could you at least cut off the light? (laughs) We all know God doesn't need anybody's money. Well, if that's the case, why should I bother giving to the church? And for that, we're going to look to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and this is the scene of one of the most famous miracles of Jesus we have in the New Testament. Read along with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. This is a notable miracle of Jesus. It's referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus was able to to feed every single person there with just uh, two fish and, and five loaves. And an incredible place. You know, I was just in Israel just a couple of weeks ago at the site where it was believed this very story took place. In fact, I took some video from my own phone. Uh, We have it up here on the screens. Um, And so you you can see there in the background, that is actually the Sea of Galilee just outside of Tiberias. And you can see thousands of years later, there's still plenty of grass there. And that hill slopes down. And so it easily would have sat thousands and thousands of people. Uh, Jesus would have been at the bottom speaking up to the people because the environment itself provides a natural amphitheater. 
In fact, this is just a, a few hundred yards to the right is the exact spot they believe that Jesus gave his, the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Mount of Beatitudes. There's now a church there. But as you can see from the background, which is the Sea of Galilee, the ground slopes substantially, which is where all of the people would have been sitting listening to Jesus. And so this whole huge crowd forms, and Jesus didn't want to lose this opportunity to teach them. And so he, 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 he realizes that people probably walked about an hour or two to get there, and the sun is starting to set, dinner time is, is starting to come on. And so if he were to send everybody back home, that's another hour or two walk back to their house, maybe another hour or two to prepare a meal, and then they would walk another hour or two back to the spot in the dark to hear Jesus teach, and then another hour or two back through the dark back home, highly unlikely. Jesus didn't want to miss this opportunity. He had compassion on the crowds. He looked at them and saw the yearning in their faces. He described them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he says to his disciple, Philip, hey, we're feeding them, and I want you to pick up the dinner bill. And Philip's response, I think we can all connect with, because we've probably been in this space at one time or another. We start doing the math. Let's look at his response again, verse 7. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. A little bit of a snarky response, don't you think? What Philip was basically saying is, this is a bad investment, okay? So we, we work six months so that every single pe person in here can have a crumb. Come on, Jesus, send them home. We could pick this up again tomorrow. But instead, Jesus sent a, his disciples to the crowd, said, hey, see, see who's got some food. And they found the boy. And then what did Jesus do with that? He, he multiplied it. And everyone got their fill, including the disciples. Verse 12, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are, all, that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Everyone had more than enough. And by the way, do you want to know what their meal looked like? Got a picture for that too. Here it is right here. That fish is what I had for lunch when I was in Galilee. The only place you can get that fish in the entire world is the Sea of Galilee. That's what they would have been eating that day. And below it is the bread they would have been eating. The only place you can get it in the entire world is there. They're called French fries. Perhaps you've heard of them. <laughs> you can get the bread anywhere, right? But that fish, that's what was, that, that everyone had their fill. This is what people were eating. And this is an, an, an incredible miracle of God, right? This this. this small offering that's made, and, and everybody gets their fill. And so we could look at that and say, look, Jesus didn't need money. Philip's concern was money. Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you a miracle that doesn't cost a thing. So to get back to our question of does God need our money, the answer is no. But this leads us to a very key Biblical principle about giving. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing we'd love for you to know, okay? God doesn't need our money, but God wants to use our money. That's important to understand because at first glance, it would appear that this miracle didn't cost anybody anything. Oh, but it did. It cost one person. Let's go back to verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? 
it cost this boy the miracle. He's the one who gave his food up. And Jesus used one person's offering as a catalyst for a miracle to thousands. It began when one person made a contribution. Don't you find it fascinating that Jesus didn't just make fish and bread rain down from heaven, but instead he used the offering of one person, and that offering in the hands of Jesus was multiplied. This boy was the catalyst of a miracle that blessed thousands of people. You know, this is what's fascinating. I don't know if you've ever given this any thought. But did you know that Jesus had a treasurer? (laughs) And his crew was pretty small. It was only him and 12 disciples and a couple of women. That's like under 20 people. And in that little crew, he needed a treasurer. Now, if you know anything about your Bibles, he didn't have a very good treasurer. Okay, his treasure was, was the disciple named Judas who had a little problem helping himself to the money bag. But he had a treasure nonetheless. Why? Here's the thing. Because ministry cost money. This was true with Jesus back then. And even with his small crew, it cost him money to travel to places and, and to do ministry to people. So, so who paid for it? Well, Luke's gospel tells us. This is Luke 8. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the ministry part. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza and the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is Jesus we're talking about. The one who could feed thousands of people with two fish and five loaves. Jesus, if he wanted to, could have turned pebbles into shekels. Jesus could have literally made money grow on trees. But instead, he chose to use the money of his people. See, we are the agents of God. This is how God works. This is how God has always worked. He works through his people. This has been true since creation. And when Jesus could have done any number of miracles, he instead decided to rely on the faithful giving of the women who traveled with him. It was true then and it's true now. Our church relies on the faithful giving of men and women like you. And just like ministry costs money for Jesus, ministry costs money for us now. You know, every week we we walk into this facility and the lights are on. Isn't that amazing? There's heat when it's cold outside, air conditioning when it's hot outside. And believe it or not, Southern California Edison isn't sitting back and saying, well, you know, you guys are a church, you're doing some good in the community, you don't have to pay your electric bills. Yeah, hardly, (laughs) okay? It all costs money. We have facilities, staff, uh, programs, outreaches, this microphone that I'm using, the speaker that is used to amplify the sound to you, all cost money. 
There are many of you who are watching online with us right now. Every week, thousands of people engage in our online service. The cameras used to capture these moments, the equipment to broadcast the signal over the internet, the staff that runs the teams behind the scenes, all of that costs money. And many of you watching online, when it's all over, you shut your laptop and never once give a single thought to the fact that someone in this church is funding your experience with God. Many of you dropped off children at our kids' ministry this morning. When you did, there was a volunteer in a red shirt holding an iPad, and they checked you in and gave you a sticker so that you could put it on your child. All that costs money. The T-shirts cost money. The iPads cost money. The internet signal we're using. We go through thousands of stickers every single month. It all costs money. And, you know, we're getting ready to launch one of the most significant outreaches we've done in a long time, or reaching out to the special needs community. We're throwing a full-on special needs prom, which means program, decorations, food. We even have a special room set aside for the parents and siblings of the guests attending. And we have decided to make that event free for the community, free for them, but very costly for us as a church. And many of you are familiar with our Peace Center This is a food distribution hub, and we've seen so many people come to Christ here because what's happening is we're giving them food and we're meeting a physical need so that they will be open to having Jesus meet their spiritual need. It's the same thing that happened when Jesus fed the 5,000. Meet a physical need, they're open to realizing that Jesus can meet a spiritual need. And while the food that we get donated is free, we've got facilities, storage, freezers, and a truck that drives it to all of our campus locations. All of that costs money. And the Peace Center is not a money-making organization. We're, we're trying to bless the community. And if you guys have felt the pinch of the economy, imagine how people who have fallen on hard times feel. You know, in this year, in 2023, I want us to, to dedicate an unprecedented uh, precedented amount of money and resources further into this Peace Center because there are so many more people we could reach. But it all costs money. And it's being funded by faithful men and women like you who have said, God, use my money. I'm an agent. Use me. That's what the boy did. And and all of these things require God's people. Now, a skeptic might say, "Uh, okay, I get that. But you're talking about giving money to a church. What about giving money to God? Hello? (laughs) How do you give money to God? Through the church. I mean, how else are you going to give to God? What, are you going to send a Zelle payment up to heaven? God, let me send you some Apple cash. What's your number? God has established the church as his means of blessing the world and furthering his ministry. As we speak, across the globe are local churches like ours that God is using. And and sometimes, as I I talk with people, they have a very unclear understanding of, of how it all works. And sometimes we could look at a church like Sunrise, this big multi-site church, and we get real skeptical. Hey, what what are you guys doing with all that money? I think some people think that when the offering bags go around, they collect the money, and then they just dump it on my desk like Halloween candy, and I just distribute it however I want. You know, it doesn't work that way. See, we, we at Sunrise, we understand that we are stewards of God's people to use this kind of money to to responsibly and strategically reach others. 
And so I asked a couple of our staff members uh, just to tell us a little bit about the, the financial accountability and transparency that we have here at Sunrise. Here's a couple. Let's take a look. Hey, church. I'm Keith Knight, and I am the operations pastor here at Sunrise, and I just want to say thank you for being a part of the ministry. And I'm Samantha Jones. I'm the finance director. So many of you may be asking, where does the money go, and what are they doing with it? As soon as any cash or check donation is dropped into the offering container, the container is collected by vetted individuals who account for it with accountability and integrity. What about donations given online? These donations are directly transferred from the donor's account to the church's account. How can you track your donations? You can log into your donor account and view and verify your donations at any time. Sunrise also sends out a year-end giving statement every January for tax purposes. So you're probably asking now, who decides how the money is used or spent? And the elder board here at Sunrise Church each year approves a financial budget for the fiscal year. Additionally, a financial subcommittee from the elder board reviews the revenue and expenses monthly for accountability and integrity. Taking accountability one step further, each staff member reconciles their purchases that they make for their specific ministries. When it's all said and done, Sunrise Church has financial systems and procedures in place to protect the financial assets and investments of our donors. So as you can see, uh, we, we hold the highest level of accountability. In fact, we even have a, an a outside tax company come and do an independent audit on us to make sure that all of our practices are in line. You know why we go through all of these steps? Because we understand the weight of being God's agent in the world. And if God works through the church in the world, we better be real careful about how we use those resources. So to, to ask the question again, does God need my money? No. But he does want to use our money. Ministry costs money, and just like Jesus had a treasurer and people who funded the ministry, the same thing is true with Sunrise. All of these things cost money, and God wants to use his people to make it happen. So that's the first question. Does God need my money? Here's the second question. If I give, what do I get? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that what we're all thinking, <laughs> you know, deep down inside? Because when you pay for uh, something, when you give money somewhere, there is some kind of clear thing that you're seeing in return. You know, for example, many of you give to Netflix $9.99 a month, okay? What do you get in return? You get a library of uh, movies and shows that you could stream. Some of you are now having to pay the $9.99 because they won't let you share passwords anymore. <laughs> when you pay for a landscaper, for example, what do you get in return? You get Cut grass and clean edges to your lawn. When you pay for childcare, what do you get in return? You get flexibility for your schedule so you could work or do other tasks that wouldn't uh, otherwise be possible if children were present. So what about with the church? When I give, what's my return on investment? What do I get? Here's, here's the most simple answer. You get a reward. What kind of reward? Well, let's listen to Jesus. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 38, says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you give, you get a reward. Sometimes we call it a blessing. But here's the key. That blessing is not always financial. Blessings come in a lot of ways. And according to Jesus, that when you give, you will be blessed. Now, unfortunately, this has been muddied by so many um, TV preachers and people who, who teach a false doctrine known as prosperity theology. And the idea is, you know, something like, you know, you give $5 and God will give you 500 in return. You know, as if giving to God is, is some can't-miss investment or a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, each week when we're, uh, I invite a number of staff and pastors around a table to work on the message together, and one of our campus pastors was sharing with us that before he got into the ministry, he used to be a door-to-door salesman. And one of his clients was like this famous televangelist. And he said, the, the kind of stuff this guy used to sell was crazy. He would sell prayer cloths and no evil oil, and a prosperity glove where you, you take this glove and you put it on your hand and you write the amount you want from God in the palm of your hand and you put it up and pray for it and that's what God's going to give you after you make your donation, of course. <laughs> you know, and all of these things, unfortunately, what happens is legitimate churches like Sunrise get grouped into the same category as all these charlatans. And, and as a result, what, what, what happens is we get all confused of, okay, well, if I give, then, then if I don't get this financial prosperity coming back on me, then I did something wrong or somebody lied to me. And the fact is that there, there is a blessing, but that blessing is not always financial. Let's, let's go back to the feeding of the 5,000. So, so what happened? We had this, this uh, example where Jesus sends the disciples into the crowd looking for food. John 6, verse 8. Disciple Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So this boy takes his small gift, he offers it, and what happens? Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. So from a, a pure financial standpoint, what was the blessing that the boy received? He broke even. He gave up his meal, and in return, he still got a meal. From a sheer bottom line standpoint, that was a break even. And I do think that this is a small detail that's worth noting, because I believe that when you give to God, he's going to take care of your needs. As the Apostle Paul famously wrote in Philippians chapter 4, he said, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. So at the very base level, God meets our needs when we give. But there are many more blessings that come into our lives that aren't necessarily financial. Think about this boy. What were some of the other blessings he received? One, he got a front row seat to see what Jesus could do with his generosity. Two, he got to experience thousands and thousands of people have a life-changing encounter with Christ and, and now this boy, his, his story is forever linked with Jesus in one of the most famous miracles in the New Testament. I'd say that's worth a meal, wouldn't you? And, and blessings come in a lot of different ways. I've seen this in my own life. You know, for years, 
I have uh, given 10% of my income. It comes from an Old Testament principle we call a tithe, which is just a principle. It's not a requirement. It's not a law. It's a starting point for giving. And so for years, I would give 10% of my paycheck. But as, I, as I've continued to grow, I've sensed that the Lord's saying, I-, I want you to give more. And so annually, I've been increasing my percentage. And I've seen the blessings of God, not necessarily financial. You know some of the biggest blessings I've experienced? Uh, strengthened faith, confidence in the storms, sweet times with my family, experiencing the joy of generosity. One of the biggest blessings is that I don't think about me all the time. There are a variety of blessings that come into your life that can't necessarily be measured by a dollar. And so to answer the question of if I give, what do I get? You get a blessing, just not necessarily a financial one. Jesus never promises riches. He never promises health. He doesn't promise generational blessings or any other wolf ticket prosperity theologians try to sell you. What he promises is blessing. And he'll take care of your needs in the process. I've seen it in my own life. Does God need my money? That's our first question. If I give, what do I get? That's our second question. Here's our third. If I don't give, what will happen? Will God punish me? Will will I get stricken with an illness? Or will life just go on as if nothing ever happened? You know, some religions actually tie your eternity with how much you give. There are people who will come and check your finances, your financial contributions, to make sure you're hitting the mark. Their answer to the question, what will happen if you don't give, is you'll pay for it in the next life. They are unintentionally teaching that you can buy your way into heaven. Other religions teach that if you do good things like giving to the church, that could help atone for your sin. So if you've done something particularly heinous, just give some money to the church and that'll lessen the sting with God. Their answer to the question of what will happen to you if you don't give is that your sins will hang on you for the rest of your life. They are unintentionally teaching that forgiveness is something that can be purchased. What about Christianity? What happens if I don't give? Am am I locked out of heaven? No, it's faith in the finished work of Jesus that gets us into heaven. You can't buy your way in. Well, Well, Will God love me less if I don't give? Listen, Jesus cannot love you any more than he loves you right now, and he cannot love you any less than he loves you right now. You can't buy the love of Jesus. It's offered freely. So so then what happens if I don't give? here's, here's, Here's the simple answer. You miss out. You miss out on impact. You miss out on the joy of generosity. You miss out on experiencing Christ in fresh ways. Think of it like this. Uh, Jesus commanded all of his believers to be baptized. He he says in various places in, in in the New Testament that you ought to be baptized. Now, what happens if you've received Christ into your life by faith, but you've never been baptized? Are you going to be locked out of heaven? Is he going to love you any less? For the for the same reasons mentioned earlier, no. God's promises are not based on what we do. They're based on his lavish giving. 
But what is baptism? Baptism is a step of obedience. Jesus said, be baptized, and so by getting baptized, you're obeying Christ. And every time you take a step of obedience, it makes it easier to take the next step of obedience. And now you're one step closer to becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be. So if you don't get baptized, you're the one who's missing out. So Jesus says, get baptized, and many followers of Jesus just go, eh, I'm just not going to obey Jesus. Well, I think giving is the same way. The difference between giving and baptism is baptism is a one-time event, whereas giving is something that we do over the course of our life, lifetime. But Jesus commanded believers to give. Let me share with you just a couple of examples from the scriptures. This is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, when you give, notice he didn't say if you give. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus' expectation is that his followers would give freely and without reservation, not letting your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Acts 20, 35, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here Jesus is quoted as saying the greater blessing comes from the giving. Receiving is great, but giving is even better. Jesus had an expectation that we would be doing that. And then the Apostle Paul uh, compounded on Jesus' thoughts in 2 Corinthians 9 when he said, each of you should give. (laughs) He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's teaching was, look, make the choice in your heart, okay? Don't do it under compulsion, like somebody's pressuring you, come on, right now, give me a number, give me a number, right now. No, go pray about it. But don't get all reluctant and like, ah, yeah, well, I think God's wanting me to do this, but I don't know. And he says, God loves a cheerful giver. It's really hard to be a cheerful giver when you aren't giving anything. Let's go back to the feeding of the 5,000. So imagine this boy is in the, in the crowd. And, and Andrew and the other disciples, they're walking through, hey, who's got food? And he sees them coming. And he takes his two fish and his five loaves and he hides them under his shirt. Oh no, you're not getting this. I worked too hard for this food. This is mine. It's not my fault that all these people weren't thinking ahead that we might be here over dinner. I'm not going to reward their irresponsibility. This is mine. If he did that, he would have missed out. And you know what? Jesus would have found another way to do this miracle. He would have used somebody else's generosity. Here's a thought. You mean to tell me that in that crowd of thousands of people, nobody else had any food? I have to imagine that somebody had some food in their bag that they weren't sharing. You know, the disciples come by, food me? No, uh, no. But it was the boy who stepped up. It was the boy who said, here's mine, Jesus. Use mine. And he was the one who got to experience the blessing, not the ones who held held it in. They got to receive, but it's better to give than to receive. And so when you and I, when we don't give, we're the ones who miss out. You know, there's an author by the name of James Clear who recently wrote a book called Atomic Habits. He's quoted as saying this, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. You know, there's some people in this room who make a bold claim. They actually claim that they are fans of the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
So, I might say, oh, really? You're a fan. Prove it. So they say, look at my gear. Put on the jersey and, and put on the hat. And then they might say, and not only that, but I could name every single player on the Dodgers roster, including the top five prospects in the farm system. And above that, I watch every single Dodgers game live on television. And the only time I'm not watching the game on television is when I'm attending the game in person at Dodger Stadium. What they have identified themselves as are Dodgers fans. And they have taken actions uh, towards that that cast the vote for the person that they want to be, their, their identity in, in, as a baseball fan. And so if I were to ask you, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, and specifically your giving, what actions have you taken to cast a vote on the person that you want to become? And so let me give you a couple of action steps that I think could be helpful as you consider how God wants to use your offering. So here's the first one. Number one, if you've never given any money, start by giving some money. Today, drop $1 in the offering bag. Pastor, I don't have a dollar. Drop a quarter. Pastor, I don't have a quarter. Drop a penny. Pastor, I don't have a penny. Okay, look under your grandma's sofa cushions, okay? <laughs> just, just drop in a penny. And then think about what will it take for me to drop in? Two pennies. Two dollars. Why? Because every action you take is a step towards becoming the person that you want to be. So if you've never given any money, give some money. Here's another action step. If you've given impulsively, start giving intentionally. So impulsive giving is the way that I used to do it. So when I was younger in my faith, what would happen is after a message, I'd pull out my wallet and I'd open it up, and if I had a couple of dollars left, I'd pull them out and I'd drop them in the offering bucket. But if I forgot my wallet that day or I didn't have any money left or I didn't think the pastor was on top of his game, you know, I wouldn't give anything. It's just impulsive giving. But as I've grown in my relationship with Christ, I've moved from the impulsive to the intentional. And I'm of the opinion that one of the best ways to be an intentional giver is to set up a reoccurring gift online. On sunrisechurch.org, it takes like five minutes. You attach your, your bank or your credit card info. You can customize the amount, the frequency. That way for me, I'm not having to remember to stop by the bank or grab my wallet or grab a checkbook or say, I'm going to do it when I get home, which never happens. <laughs> we don't do anything when we get home. Um, so maybe that's you. If you've given impulsively, start moving towards giving intentionally. And here's the last one. If you've given a percentage, increase your percentage. And so I want to speak specifically to, to those of you who, maybe like me, you, you gave a fixed percentage. Did God take care of your needs? Do you think God will take care of your needs if you increase your percentage? I believe he will. Friends, listen. Giving is an act of worship. We often think of worship as singing songs in church, and that's one form of worship. But worship, in the most simple definition, is a response. It's a response to who God is and what he's done. Who is God? He's the giver of life. What's he done? He's given his life. And the way that we respond is in worship. If you were somebody who has trusted Christ with your life, you respond. And one of the ways to respond to that is through giving. By saying, Jesus, you've literally given me everything. Your entire life. And so as a response, I also am going to give. 
But I wonder if the reason why many people don't give at all is because you've actually never received the free gift from Jesus. You've never stretched out your hands in faith and received it. You've never confessed your sins to Jesus. You've never, you've never believed in faith that he died in your place. You've never asked him to help you turn away from the sin in your life so that you could live for him. Well, here's the good news. You can do that today. In just a moment, I can lead you in a prayer. Uh, I can give you some words, but the most important thing is you've got to believe it in your heart. And so if today's the day that you want to receive peace with God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then that's the number one thing that you want to do in this moment. And so now is the time. I want to ask everybody in, to, to bow your heads, to close your eyes online. This goes for you as well. And I want you to search your heart. And if you're somebody who's never trusted Jesus before, then I want you to repeat these words in the silence of your own heart. Jesus, today I give you my life. You pray those words. Jesus, today I give you my life. I believe you are God. I believe you died in my place. And today I ask that you forgive me of my many sins. Today I place my faith in you. Will you change my heart from the inside out so that I can leave my old life behind and please you in this new life? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you are somebody who prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm gonna encourage you to let us know about it. On the program that you maybe you grabbed on the way in, there's a little perforated card that Pastor Anthony mentioned earlier, and there's a box under here that says, I said yes. You could just fill that out and just tear this off. It comes right out, and when the offering bags come by, you could just drop that right in, and one of our staff members will follow up with you. Online, there are links that you can uh, click on right now. Maybe you've already trusted in Christ, but you want to know, well, what do I got to do next? What's my next step here? Here's a simple way. Text next to 909-281-7797. That's our sunrise number. We've got staff people who will exchange a few messages with you and help you take that next step. Joining a small group, getting involved. Maybe you just need a person to talk to or you need some assistance. Whatever. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or for those of you here in the room, we have a next step table in the lobby. There's a person out there ready to answer whatever question you may have about what it means to take your next step. Friends, next week, we're going to talk about one of the most powerful ways God uses money in our lives. So think about a person you could invite with you to church to hear a message on a biblical perspective about money. But listen, does God need our money? No. But he does want to use our money. We are his agents in the world. If I give, what do I get? You get a blessing. It's just not always a financial blessing. Blessings come in a lot of shapes and sizes. And if I don't give, what will happen? You'll be the one who misses out. Friends, God is inviting us on an adventure. Let's not allow our love of money to cause us not to get on the ride. Because when we put our gift in the hands of Jesus, he can do amazing things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
We praise you and we thank you for the fact that you are a miracle-working God. You take care of the needs of your people. You bless people through, through others. And Lord, I just pray on behalf of my own life and on behalf of all those who are listening to this message right now, Father God, will you use us to be a blessing to the world? Use us, Lord. We, we put our lives in your hands. Multiply it just like you did with the bread and the fish. God, take our gifts, take our resources. Lord, use this to be a blessing to others so that your name can be lifted high across this world, Lord. Don't let the stranglehold of money get a hold of our hearts so that we won't experience the true life that you have for us. And so, Father, even in this act of, of giving, may, may our hearts be worshipful, just like you love a cheerful giver. May we do that very thing. And God, we ask that you take these gifts and that you do exactly what you do. You multiply, Lord. So, Father, we commit this in your hands. Lord, we pray for anyone who's never trusted in you with their life, that today would be the day they receive the most amazing gift of all, the gift of eternity through Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. And it's in Christ's powerful name we pray and let the church say, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.